You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. I want to invite us to open up our Bibles, the Bible that you brought with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible underneath the seat or in the pew. And open up to the book of Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible or know someone who needs one, take that Bible that's there as our gift to you today. And if you're high tech and you want to pull out your phone or your tablet, you can use the YouVersion Bible app and go follow those instructions. It'll take you right to our scripture this morning. As you're finding Exodus 3, uh, how many of you rely on your phone or your computer pretty much for the information that you get these days? How many of you do that? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you actually read a newspaper? I don't mean do the crossword puzzle at a sports page. I mean read a newspaper. Okay, couple. All right. Because the thing is, people have noticed that more and more we live in what's known as a soundbite culture. The, the idea behind that phrase, soundbite culture, is that more and more... Our knowledge and our opinions are the byproducts of headlines, bullet points, and for some of us, tweets, bite-sized portions of news, teaching, and even instruction. The, the fancy name for this phenomenon that's happening is reductionism. And I don't know if you've ever heard that word before, but reductionism is about taking something complex, large, difficult, and making it simple, small, and easy to grasp. Now, reductionism in and of itself isn't a bad thing until it becomes the norm. When sound bites or headlines or bullet points or tweets are the primary or only way we receive and process information, then our knowledge and our understanding can become disastrously skewed. Because matters of depth become continually shrunk into oversimplifications. Complex issues can be reduced to one-sided distortions. This is how stereotypes are created. This is how generalizations become accepted as truth without specifics. Now, I bring all this up, this whole idea of reductionism, sound bites, the whole thing, because one of the reasons why we're in the midst of this new sermon series that started last week is as a way of wrestling with the hazards of reductionism within Christianity. And what we're doing is we're trying to kick back against that trend by probing the deeper meaning of core themes of our faith. And to do this, what we've, what we've started is each week we're getting behind our English translation of a certain repeated biblical word and defining it as conceived in its original language, Greek or Hebrew, so that we get past sort of the reductionism of translation. Our primary text for this series is Deuteronomy 6, Chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. We read that last week. Uh, We began actually by unpacking the first word of these verses, a word that's also become the nickname for that passage, very famous passage known as the Shema. If you missed that last week, I encourage you to go back and watch it or listen to it because I think you'll you'll learn a lot. Shema translates into listen. But as we talked about last, last week, there's so much more to that word than our English translation. Today's word of the day is different. Today's word of the day is also found in this passage in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. It's also a word that's found in 7,000 other verses in the Bible. 
Today's word is Yahweh. Can you say Yahweh? Now, for most of you, if you were to thumb through your Bible, you probably will never find the word Yahweh in it because Yahweh is translated into English in our Bibles as Lord. Now, right from the get-go, you might go, well, if it's the words Yahweh, why, did, why is it Lord in our Bibles? And we're going to get to the reason why there's this discrepancy between the original language and our English translation soon enough. But for now, I want to start by exploring the meaning of this word Yahweh in the context of what I think is the most popular encounter in which it was used. And that's where you are right now in Exodus chapter 3. Before we read it, let me tell you where we are in the biblical story, okay? God's people, as we come into the book of Exodus, the Israelites find themselves enslaved in Egypt. For four centuries, they've endured backbreaking labor and even state-instituted genocide. One particular child who survived, however, was a boy named Moses. Now, Moses didn't just escape death. He providentially ended up being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. For 40 years, Moses was raised like a prince in the household of Egypt's king. And then one day, Moses, seeing the oppression of his people, took matters into his own hands and inadvertently killed an Egyptian. Running for his life, Moses then spends the next 40 years in the desert, on the far side of a mountain in Midian. He finds a wife. He raises a family. He establishes a good career. Until one day, as Moses is just going about his business, just like any other day, Moses sees a bush on fire that isn't being consumed. And then he hears a voice calling to him. This voice, the purported voice of God, tells Moses to go back to Egypt and set the Israelites free. And in response, Moses asks an important question. Who are you? With that in mind, let's read Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 11. But God said to Moses, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's be to God. Picture it. What would you do if you were Moses in this situation? I mean, what do we do when we hear a voice we cannot see, a voice we do not immediately recognize? We ask, who is this? Who am I talking to? And it's an important question for Moses to ask because there were lots of gods in the ancient world. Gods and goddesses related to nature and the seasons. Gods and goddesses particular to one's nation, one's tribe, even one's family. Moses wants a name because he probably is wondering which god he's talking to. Moses is going to need a name because the Israelites are going to want to know on whose behalf Moses is speaking, especially if they remember anything about Moses. So he asks for God's credentials. 
Moses asks for God's name and God tells him. God gives Moses his name, Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, this is significant, God giving Moses his name. Right off the bat, this is significant because names are important. A name, as a descriptor of who or what something is, provides access to that object's identity. Names are important. Having a name enables us to speak of something or someone, to define it, to describe it, to invoke or call upon that something or someone. Names have power. The power inherent to a name is why we tend to keep ours private, right? Not sharing them with just anyone, certainly not strangers. We usually only share our name with friends, people we let into our lives, people we allow to get close to us. God could have given Moses a generic name. God could have given Moses a generic name. In fact, the generic name for God in Hebrew is the word El or Elohim. El means God in a general sense. Elohim is simply a way to name any supernatural spiritual power. In fact, El is so nonspecific that in in the Bible, when the Bible talks about the gods of the Egyptians and the Canaanites, the word Elohim is used. When El, Elohim, is used of the God of the Bible, it's therefore usually tagged with some initial descriptors to make a separation. So, for example, and maybe you've heard this one before, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. The point is, God could have given Moses a generic name, but he didn't. God tells Moses his proper name, Yahweh. This word is not a title. It is God's personal name, just like mine is Chris Twightman. And understand that God gave himself the name Yahweh. Moses didn't. No human being ever did. Yahweh is God's chosen personal name. And in sharing his personal name with Moses, with us, our creator is giving us access to his identity. Revealing the name Yahweh is, in other words, an invitation to draw closer, to be in relationship together. Our creator provides us with his calling card. In the giving of his name, Yahweh offers us the power. Think about this. In giving us his name, Yahweh offers us the power to represent him, to define and describe him to others, and to call upon him. Right there, that should make us stop and ask, well, what does God's name, what does Yahweh mean? Now, you have it right there in front of you. We were reading it together. We translate this word Yahweh into English as I am who I am, or some translations read, I will be who I will be. But as you're soon going to see, this fails to capture the full meaning of all that Yahweh means. Now, in order to take you here, I have to take you back to something I mentioned last week. I mentioned it last week. If you weren't here, it bears repeating again. And it's this. The Hebrew mindset is different from our Western mindset. And by Western, I mean we have, our mindset's predominantly been influenced by ancient Greek culture, not Hebrew culture. So the Hebrew mindset is different than our Western Greek-influenced influ- mindset. Like I said last week, the he- Hebrew culture is all about action, Right? To the Hebrew mind, we talked about this last week, being and doing are inseparable. They're inseparable from each other. 
We, on the other hand, when it comes to naming things, tend to reckon things based upon their appearance. And our languages, different languages, reflect this distinction. From our Western standpoint, we look at a picture of a dog and say, that's a dog. We see a that's a dog. In Hebrew, on the other hand, a dog is recognized by what it does, not by how it looks. The action, in other words, intimately reveals the nature of the object. So with all this in mind, the first thing we need to appreciate about the word, God's name Yahweh, is that it reveals to us our creator is actively present with us. To put this another way, as a part of speech, we would call Yahweh a proper name. But the word Yahweh is actually a verb. The word Yahweh is actually a verb. And given what I just shared with you, if you were tracking with me about Hebrew culture and language, this intuitively ought to make sense to us. After all, verbs are words that express what? Action. Yahweh is a form of the verb to be. I've done this before, and I love it every time we find ourselves here. It's time for a little grammar refresher. In it, yeah, oh, all right, we got some fans. I like that. There's some other people groaning right now, so that's good counterbalance. In English, we all remember that verbs come in the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense, right? Yesterday, Pastor Chris ate ice cream, past tense. Today, watch Pastor Chris eat ice cream, present tense. Tomorrow, Pastor Chris will eat ice cream again, future tense. I like my ice cream, so what? Got a problem with that? <laughs> past, present, future tense. However, we also have this tense in English that conveys continuing action, activity that will keep going. You may not remember what it's called. It's called the imperfect tense. And typically, you might remember this, the imperfect tense is expressed by adding ing to the end of the verb. Pastor Chris is eating ice cream. The action is ongoing, meaning it's still happening. And God knows if I could make that happen, I would. <laughs> the imperfect tense, the action is ongoing, it's still happening. I'm bringing all this up to you, a little grammar lesson, because the imperfect verb in English is the closest we can get to expressing what Yahweh means. In other words, think I am with an I-N-G added to it. I aming. It sounds ridiculous. However, it's what Yahweh means. We don't have an English word for that. To say God's name is I aming doesn't make sense. But that's what it is. That's what Yahweh means. In other words, Yahweh expresses being. Being that is continual. Being that is ongoing. Yahweh is the name of the God who is actively present in our lives and in our world. And for a moment, this might help us to better understand the second commandment of God's top ten. The prohibition against the making of idols, or more technically, a graven image. A graven image is a replica, a carving of something. It does not move. It is static. It displays being without any doing. Therefore, an idol cannot be God, for Yahweh is more than an image, a category, even a concept. The name Yahweh reveals our creator is the God who is not just there, static, passive, and aloof. Yahweh is the particular name of an actively present God. Yahweh is the name of the God who is always there, who continues to be there for us. When we question 
If God was with us when something happened in the past, the answer of the name Yahweh is not I was, but I am. As we look ahead and prepare for the future and wonder if God will be with us, the answer of the name Yahweh is not I will, but I am. Yahweh is the God who's already there, who's always been there with us. So right from the outset, we see that it's part of the deeper richness of this word, this name Yahweh, is this relational understanding. It expresses relationship, God's proximity and active presence with us. But Yahweh still can communicate so much more, and I'm going to try not to lose you here. Here's the next thing I want you to appreciate about the word, the name Yahweh. Yahweh defines absolute reality. Yahweh defines absolute reality. I'm going to break this down and then take you back around to it. In other words, Yahweh as a name, as a descriptor, conveys existence in its broadest sense beyond any human perspective. That imperfect tense, the I aming, everything we talked about, continual being, actively present, Yahweh as God's name reveals that God simply is. Our God, our creator didn't come into being. Our creator is being. Since no one made Yahweh, Yahweh is utterly independent. The God who is Yahweh needs nothing, is not contingent upon anything. Contrary to what critics and skeptics say, God does not need our prayers. God does not, his existence is not contingent upon our belief. God needs nothing, is contingent upon, isn't contingent upon anything. Because Yahweh is being, utterly independent. Yahweh has no beginning, therefore Yahweh has no end. But on the other hand, anything and everything else is entirely dependent upon Yahweh. Without Yahweh, nothing exists. We do not exist. Yahweh defines absolute reality. Let's take it further. Yahweh, as God's name, reveals that God is constant and unchanging. If God is being, no beginning, no end. If God is utterly independent, God is constant. Yahweh is constant and unchanging. We live in a world bound by time. You know it well. We live in a world bound by time. We are, can be burdened by a past we cannot change. We can be trapped in a present where our reach is limited. And we can be worry about a future that we cannot control. We are in a world bound by time where we learn, we grow, we change. The God who is Yahweh has no such boundaries and is not subject to the fluctuation of aging and maturity. As the scriptures say, Yahweh is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if you put all this together, this is where it's going to take you when I say that Yahweh defines absolute reality. If God, if Yahweh is being, ultimate existence, no beginning, no end, if Yahweh is utterly independent, And everything else on the the flip side is totally dependent upon Yahweh. If Yahweh is constant and unchanging, unbound by time, the same yesterday, today, and forever, then it is Yahweh who is the standard of what is true, what is good, what is right, what is real. Yahweh defines absolute reality for us. Yahweh defines what matters and what lasts 
Do you see? Yahweh is a name that shatters all the illusions we have about deciding and defining for ourselves what's acceptable, what's important, and what we can take with us. Yahweh is a name that breaks open the separate boxes we try to put our lives into along with other people. Yahweh is a name that breaks the limits we dare to place on what is possible. Yahweh is the name that defies any notion that we are the masters of our own destiny because Yahweh is the name that communicates who is in control, who is sovereign over all human history and over all creation. So at the same time, Yahweh expresses our creator as actively present with us, but at the same time, it also communicates that this creator, this God, is wholly other than we are. And if you sit in that for a second, if it's, this is even just settling in any way, shape, or form, when you realize the vastness, the wildness, the infiniteness contained in a name like Yahweh, it fills you with an overwhelming sense of awe and wonder. The meaning of a name like that brings us to our knees in worship and adoration. It even might cause us to pause before saying it out loud. That's what happened among the Jews, actually to honor the sacredness of the divine name. And so as not to violate the third commandment, Jews started using the Hebrew word Adonai, which translates Lord, instead of Yahweh. In fact, just to ensure that a person did not say the name of God out loud inadvertently when reading one of the ancient scrolls, Jewish scribes put the vowel sounds from Adonai in between the consonants of Yahweh. And this created an artificial, non-existent word that always caught one's attention, one's attention when they were reading. And this is good. This was well and good until much, much later when medieval Christian scribes were translating the Bible into Latin. You see, they didn't know about this ancient practice, so they transcribed and repeated the made-up word as the actual name of God. And that's, by the way, where we get the word Jehovah from a name long associated reverently with God, but it is not God's name. Now, it's in keeping with this original tradition that Greek translations of the Old Testament use the word kurios, Lord, in place of the word Yahweh. And this now answers the question I said a long, long time ago. That's why in our English translations, most have followed the same pattern. Whenever you see the word Lord in small capital letters, like you see it in this passage... It's a stand-in for the divine name, Yahweh. God's name is sacred. Understanding the significance of God's name can be intimidating, frightening even. It should make us weak in the knees. But here's the thing. In sharing and giving to us his name, Yahweh makes it clear he is the God who wants to be known. If we ever had any doubts about this, if, we ever, if, if giving us his personal name wasn't enough to convince us that God wants to be known, then we only have to reflect upon the incarnation when the one named Yahweh came into the world to live as one of us. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it was an expression of God's name. The name revealed long ago to Moses, the name of Yahweh, because the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Now, I need you to pull back all those things I told you about being and action inseparable, how it's the action that expresses the identity, right? Think about this. There are many people before and since who have been named Jesus. 
but unlike all the others who have ever or ever will bear the name, this Jesus, think about it, lived up to his name. Yahweh saves because he embodied the action his name expresses and at the same time pointed to his divine nature as the Son of God. Not Yahweh saves, but for Jesus, Yahweh saves. In fact, I don't know if you know this, at one point, Jesus openly declared his name to be Yahweh. Did you know that? He openly declared his name to be Yahweh. You can read about it in John chapter 8. And it's this fascinating encounter in John chapter 8. There's this, this argument, this just extended dispute going on amongst the Jewish leadership and the people about who Jesus thinks he is. They're like going back and forth with him. And everyone who is present seemingly is rejecting Jesus' authority, just refuse to give him his due based upon their appeal to their heritage as God's chosen people. We are the children of Abraham. Who are you? And Jesus, at the very end of this chapter, the very end of this encounter, finally responds by saying this. Before Abraham, ego and me. In that moment, Jesus says in Aramaic, what's later written down in Greek, ego and me. Before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. The same word, the same name given to Moses. Jesus in that moment, equated himself with the God of the universe, Yahweh. And it's not a mistake. It's not a mistranslation of what takes place in John 8. How do we know this? Because Paul confirms the same thing, the very same thing in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. In the midst of talking about Jesus, Paul writes, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And what's really amazing is Paul, when he writes these words, is actually quoting a verse from Isaiah 45. And if you go and read Isaiah 45, the verse that Paul's quoting, when Isaiah writes it, he writes, Yahweh's declared as the one in whom, the, in the end, the world will acknowledge and worship. And Paul says, Yahweh, Jesus, the same. The God who is Yahweh, the God who became flesh in Jesus, is the God who wants to be known. The third commandment of the law, with all respect, our Jewish brothers and sisters got it wrong. The third commandment of the law, Yahweh doesn't tell us not to say his name. In the third commandment of the law, God cautions us against taking his name, Yahweh, in vain. He cautions us against misusing or misrepresenting his name. And we need to think about that because we talk about God all the time. We talk about God all the time. Do you ever notice that? People all over the world, even those who profess not to believe in any deity, casually, offhandedly make reference to God when they curse or express surprise, when they taste or experience something good like food or sex, when they questioningly, accusingly cry out because life hasn't gone the way they planned. And all these various utterances are, of course, generic, using what amounts to a pronoun to speak of the creator of the universe, never using God's proper name, never the personal name of Yahweh, but that's who's being referred to. My friends, do we ever stop and think about the God we are actually talking about when we drop his name all the time? Do we ever stop and think about the God we are talking about? And I ask this because many of us 
inside the church and outside, many of us address just a God of our own conception. Many of us just address a God of our own conception. I mean, and it's easy to do. It's easy to get backwards the meaning of God's name, to internalize that Yahweh means I am whoever you want me to be. Right? I am whoever you want me to be. This is the God who always gives us what we want when we want it. This is the God who smites our enemies, condemning those whom we fear, we reject, and we hate, but forgives us no matter what and affirms whatever we think, whatever we feel, and whatever we do. This God fits into our schedule. This God endorses our politics. This God favors our interests. But this is not the God named Yahweh, the one whose very being once again defines reality, what is true, what is good, what is right. The God who morphs into whatever we desire or imagine is a God of our own making. Your God, but not the God. Our God, the one who is Yahweh. That God is the God of every day and age. That God is the God created in our image. Yahweh is the God who creates us in his image. Which God are you talking about? Which God are we talking to? Which God are we talking to? You know, there are people who believe that God reveals his personal name for the first time here in Exodus 3 to Moses. The idea is, it's argued that prior to this, God's proper name was not known. And the basis of this argument is the word Yahweh is found nowhere in the first two chapters of the Exodus story. Therefore, God shares a name for himself that's never been revealed before to anyone before Moses hears it at the burning bush. That's the theory. I respectfully disagree. Because Moses' very reason for asking God for his name is so he can convince the Israelites that their God, the one true God, sent him, Moses, to them. Therefore, the elders and the people of Israel must already have been aware of the name of Yahweh. And it's interesting, you heard me read it, Yahweh gives his name in the same sentence he states he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this further suggests the patri patriarchs knew God as Yahweh as well. So therefore, while the name is new to Moses and to us, it's not a new name to the Israelites. So then you might ask, why is there no mention of Yahweh until Exodus chapter 3? And I'm going to argue, doesn't mean it's true, I think the reason is the people have forgotten God's name. After 400 years of slavery, surrounded by countless other gods, yes, the Israelites cry out in suffering to the God of their ancestors, but they don't remember and therefore do not call upon the covenantal divine name of Yahweh. And this just further just blows apart what happens here. God shares his name with Moses, not just so that he can validate his credentials with the Israelites. God shares his name with Moses so the Israelites can remember who they're talking to. The God who hears them and will answer their cry. The God who will show them he is greater than their oppressors, Pharaoh and all the would-be gods of Egypt. And that's exactly what happens next. God shows them, shows Pharaoh, shows the Egyptian, shows the world, shows his people who he is. Which God are we talking to? Do you remember God's name? Do you remember God's name? Let me ask you this. When you pray, when you talk to Jesus, do you believe you have to get Christ's attention? 
Or do you recognize you're talking to Yahweh? The I am, the God who is always with you, who's never too busy or too distracted, both to listen and act on your behalf. When you pray, do you feel the need to tell Jesus exactly what to do and how to do it? Okay, Jesus, you paying attention right now? You might want to write this down. This is going to be complicated. Here's what I need you to do. When you pray, do you feel the need to tell Jesus exactly what to do and how to do it? Or do you realize you're speaking to Yahweh? The I will be who I will be. The God who is being, who defines absolute reality. The one who is in control. The one through whom all life is held together. Do we ever stop and think about the God we're talking to? Do we ever stop and think about the God we're talking about? What God are you talking about in the world? Some people argue... Some argue that people have lost interest in the gospel because the world doesn't understand sin and the need for a savior. And while I believe this is accurate, I'm also convinced the gospel doesn't resonate in our world today because most people have no idea who God is. When all they have heard from us, when all they have witnessed is the image of a cross, a little talk of blood, that fancy word repentance, asking for forgiveness and the assurance of going to heaven when we die, all they perceive is an anemic, limited reflection of a God who is so much more than a self-help sort of deity. My friends, when our gospel becomes small, the fullness and glory of who God is gets reduced along with it. What is the gospel? Who is the God of this gospel? The God of the gospel, the God who is Yahweh, this transcendent, holy other, utterly independent, one through whom all things were made, comes down to our level, into the world, into the humanity which he created. That's the gospel. The gospel, the God of the gospel, the God who is Yahweh, the one who exists in himself, who does not need to go outside of himself to find purpose or life, comes to us as the light in the darkness, comes for us to give our lives purpose, to lead us into the best life for which we were created, not just life after death, but a reconciled, redeemed, and restored life before we die. The kind of life, the light that the darkness cannot overcome. The God of the gospel is the God who is Yahweh, the one in whom was life, the life of all humanity, who paradoxically and yet undeniably sacrificed himself, not just to offer us forgiveness. Forgiveness, yes, but not just to offer us forgiveness, but to give us, as John writes in the first chapter of his gospel, grace and truth, a love stronger than death, and a hope that will never die. Which God are you talking about? There's this Jewish folktale that I've loved for a long, long time. And the essence of this Jewish folktale is that it contends to breathe is to speak the name of God. Yahweh. And interestingly, some scholars have noted that the letters of the Hebrew alphabet that spell Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, represent breathing sounds, or what are known as aspirated consonants. In Hebrew, yod he va he This isn't, well, this isn't found in the Bible. I think this, is a, this imaginative idea poignantly illustrates our relationship with and to God. How close is Yahweh? 
as close as our next breath. How absolutely dependent are we upon Yahweh? Our very next breath depends upon him. We come into this world taking our first breath, speaking the name of God, Yahweh. And every second, every moment of all the years we have, both night and day throughout our entire lives, we never stop speaking the name of God, Yahweh. To say the name of Yahweh is to have life. To live is to speak the name of God. And any person who does not speak the name of God, of Yahweh, does not live. All of us, always, everywhere, waking, sleeping, have the name of God on our lips, whether we acknowledge him or not. I think that's pretty cool. So we ask, what's in a name? What's in a name? In the giving of the name, the sharing of the word that is Yahweh, there is an invitation to be in relationship with the God who is actively present in our lives and in this world. There is an invitation to know the one who defines absolute reality, who establishes and leads us into all that is true, good, and right. And there is an invitation to share his name so all may know, all may confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Beloved, God gives us his name to be known and shared through us. When God, when Yahweh came down to save us as Jesus Christ, it was an expression of his name, that God is for us. When the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost and God's Spirit filled all those who believed and followed the way of Jesus and created the church, the body of Christ, it was an expression of his name that God is with us. And the God who is Yahweh, the God made flesh in Jesus Christ, the God who makes his home in our hearts through his Spirit is the God who wants to be known and will be known in all the earth. And so he continues to express his name among and through us with every breath we take. So when the question comes, when people ask who sent us, why we are here, who we represent, let us answer. Let us glorify his name, not by hiding it, not by keeping it private or avoiding saying it, not by using the generic form, but by invoking the name, the name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus in gratitude and praise. By his grace alone, let us faithfully bear his name through more than words, but acts of compassion and generosity. Let us humbly and boldly together reveal Yahweh, share Jesus with those who do not know, who have not heard. For there is salvation in no other.